right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Rounding the Earth is a multimedia education project based on the popular newsletter series published on Substack, written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Topics of discussion range from critical analysis of conventional wisdom to Bitcoin and everything in between, in particular, the ongoing plandemonium, so to speak. Our goal is a careful examination of important topics and perspectives shaping the world that too few people talk about. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Locals, Substack, and Rumble to join a burgeoning research community and to help us unflatten the Earth. My name is Liam Sturgis. I am a musician, music producer, and writer-slash-editor, and just, let's be real, a complete nerd. Uh, coming at you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I will be your host for today. And without further ado, drumroll please, allow me to introduce the author of Rounding the Earth and my co-host for the podcast, Matthew Crawford. How are you, Matthew? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm trying to change up the intro every time now. How's it yeah. going so far? Uh, pretty good. But, you know, for what it's worth, um, when I talk about you, I, I only describe you as partnered. Mm, yeah, on my mom's side. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the other side is geek. <laughs> uh, well, today we're going to do something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but it was probably good to kind of get the, the show going first and to get to a certain point in time. Um, I think that it's good for people to see what it looks like when several people get in a room and discuss a scientific paper. You're right. And, and my personal opinion is it almost always happens best when you have multiple people because different people see different things, right? We right. all have our experiences and our processes of thinking, our expert, our, our domains of expertise and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, this, I mean, this will be educational on a level of people seeing the information in certain scientific papers but also how it gets processed and what kinds of questions people might have at the end or where it might take us thereafter. So I think this is a, a once a month exercise that, you know, I don't know how long we'll do this for. I don't know if we'll do this for six months or 18 months or 237 months or what, but I, I think that it's, it's a really valuable exercise for people to tune into. So, um, and, and in order to get that accomplished, uh, we're going to invite different people, different weeks, but um, you know, we, we've, we've reached into uh, our, our bag of friends and, uh, and we've got several really uh, incredibly smart people with us. Um, and that includes uh, Jimmy Kim and Jessica Rose and JJ Cooey, who are all joining us today. And we've got a, um, two or three papers that we're going to discuss. We'll see what we have time for because it's best to do something completely than partially. But um, uh, you know, I'm going to let everybody uh, introduce themselves. Uh, Jimmy, let's start with you. Uh, hi, I'm Jimmy Kim. Um, I write a subset called Let's Be Clear. And uh, Years ago, I did a PhD um, looking at the, the link between the cell, cell cycle and metabolism. Idea show like I, I think that this is um, it's a really important thing for people to see in real time. You know, not rehearsed. Maybe even didn't read the paper. <laughs> people go back and forth between you know how they interpret the paper, what the results mean if they're valid, if they're in line with what's been portrayed in the media, for example. So yeah, I'm, uh, I also have a sub stack um, called Unacceptable Jessica, um, and also Unconditional Jessica, which is more about current events. But uh, yeah, I, I like um, taking articles apart and ID science. Um, I'm sure most people 
have heard me talk here before. So on to JJ. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jay. Um, I have a channel called Gigaon Biological on Twitch, and it's also gigaonbiological.com. I've been a biologist my whole life, and uh, I guess um, <coughs> biologists got called off the bench um, in COVID, and we've been we've been on the floor ever since. So, and to be clear, it's unusual to have someone who's been a biologist their whole life. Most people don't start like you know come out of the womb as a biologist. Um, that, mm. that's a very rare condition. So um, <laughs> it, it's good that we have uh, a JJ in the room today. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a very rare condition indeed. <clears throat> well, we are an equal opportunity uh, platform, so we're very happy to have you. And obviously, this is the J crew. We went with a theme. Um, so thank you to the J crew for joining us. Um, all right. So what are we doing? What papers have we pulled up here? Which one do we want to start with? Well, um, uh I believe Jessica was the uh, was the first to kind of um, offer author offer up a paper and throw it in, and this is a very topical paper as well, right? So, um, yeah, this is one that came out. Uh, I, I know that I was talking about it um, with Amanda, with my wife, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. Uh, so, Jessica, why don't you tell us uh, about this one? I, I've read uh, a lot of this one, but not completely. But I'll, I'll let you get it started. Sure. Just to summarize, it's a short communication, so it's accessible for anyone to read. You don't have to go into the methods to really get just of the paper. I actually haven't read thoroughly, but um, basically, they uh, this group of people looked at uh, a small group of people who have hepatitis C and had traces or full-length spike mRNA. Uh, 28 days after their last injection, if I understand correctly. And so they're, you know, they're, they were very surprised um, by this finding because they, they were not, uh, they weren't looking for it, if, if, unless I miss my guess. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and, and one of the things about it that I kind of disagree with is uh, one of their concluding statements at the end. I'm going I'm to try and find it now. Um, I have too many tabs open. Yeah, you can just scroll down to the discussion. They say that, uh, where's the line there? Uh, it's, um, yeah, where to go? Where to go? The LNPs have been reported to be rapidly cleared by immune cells and mRNA is degraded by blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they make a statement about the, the mRNA being present still because they're protected by the lipid nanoparticles. And... So they're, I, I guess they propose that once they're injected, they slowly get disseminated and then slowly, you know, the, they, they get degraded and the mRNA is released. But what people should know is that the mRNA itself was designed to be very stable and durable. So uh, it's, it's, it's not something I agree with that you can just say, okay, they're, they're protected by the LNPs and that's why we see them 28 days later. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think that the mRNA is fine on its own because it was designed that way. So that that's the quick and dirty summary. Um, next. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times statements like that are, are made in a paper with citation. Right. right. And, and this is a statement made without citation, which already that, that should make you scratch your head a little bit and question whether or not, you know, the story is exactly right here. Um, right. But should we go back up to the very top and kind of walk through this 
a little yeah. bit of time here. So, so the, um, the quote, so, so that we can come back to it. Real quickly before we go, um, uh, is there somebody else who can bring this paper up so that I'm not the one scrolling through? Um, Jessica, um, are you able to bring this one up? Um, and part of the reason is uh, I accidentally left my water downstairs and I don't do well in, uh, in like, you know, hour, hour and a half conversations without water. So I'm going to get running. Oh, I, I, I can bring it up. Hold tight. Okay. Um, it just adds up. There's a couple of people on Rumble saying they're having some uh, problems hearing us and it's all crackly. It looks like it's fine on my end, but just a heads up that I, I have seen your comments and there are some backup streams available. So I'm going to pull this paper up. Uh, I'll do it over here. Yeah, we are. Uh, just to be clear, we are all hearing each other well here. I'm hearing oh, yeah. you all well. Okay, great. Um, sorry. Okay, pull that up. Uh, then jump over here, hit the button there, hit that. So their Wiley. statement was, without the LNPs protecting the mRNA, the mRNA would rapidly degrade. This is a, a statement in their discussion, and that's the one I was referring to that I disagree with. Just for circle back reference <laughs> yeah okay well who wants to uh who wants to jump in and comment on this i admit i was paying attention to the audio issues so i have absolutely zero opinions on this paper so far <laughs> well, well the first thing i would say is that it doesn't even really it doesn't even really get where where jessica is hinting which is that any of the active rna that was taken up by a cell could still be expressing spike itself even in small quantities and this is not a set of assays that would find that. This was specifically looking for RNA still in, in circulation. So right. all of the other, what we would have already identified a year and a half ago as being extremely dangerous portions of the potential action of the RNA is not even looked for here. This is just kind of like, is, is there any trace left in the blood? I mean, this could be the small... Um, how do we say it? A lot of the the smear of RNA that they found when they when they did their limited testing on the on the transfections, they found, you know, a small proportion of it was was the right weight, and then the rest was this smear of weights that went all the way down to small fragments. And so, if those are not polyadenylated, if those were inside of especially small lipid nanoparticles. I think it's Mark Giraudot said that, that these lipid nanoparticles don't just spontaneously merge with the membrane, but they need some pressure and contact. And so there could be a, a sort of size of these lipid nanoparticles that's not readily crossing into cells and therefore just lingers in the blood. I don't know why it would still be there after, why wouldn't the liver take it out or something like that? I mean, Maybe this is a good question: Is why why isn't the liver removed these, these? I remember Maria. Um, how do you say her last name, Liam? Gucci. No, Gucci. Gucci. I remember um, uh, Maria telling us that uh, the lipid nanoparticle mRNA sort of packages, as you might think of them, uh, do vary in size, and they vary substantially. Yes. You know, some yes. might be twice the size of others. Yep, and that's problematic. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. Um, 
Yeah, that to me is the the issue though that you have that they're they're looking at what would be the least dangerous lingering RNA of all this you know these little tiny fragments. That's all they're really finding. So it's it's almost like it's a non-issue that they find it. Um, so, so can you scroll to the methods? You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was wondering was like in the second paragraph of the methods, the way that they um, wait is it the second paragraph? Sorry, the first paragraph. Um, briefly, RNA was extracted with the ZR viral RNA kit. What, what I was wondering was whether they are extracting some RNA from within cells. So they collected blood and supposedly this kit is supposed to lyse viruses or maybe also get loose RNA. It's not, I'm not sure about that, but if they're also lysing cells, they could be getting some of the RNA from within cells. Right. Or if there's some you know, COVID vaccine mRNA lingering within cells for whatever reason, like trapped in there. Um, that could be some of what they're picking up. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it's, it seems, uh, uh, how often do you see that in a paper where you see something in the methods and you think, well, the methods section needs to be a little bit more explanatory or, or do you sometimes get that in the supplementation? I often think All the time. that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's like, can I reproduce this in my lab right now? And the answer is usually no. <laughs> it's very rare. Like I was, uh, I was very careful when I, whenever I wrote methods, I, I wanted the, the, my goal was to allow anyone, even with, without experience to recreate what I did. I was very precise in my methodology. So I, I often find it's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, then on the other hand, it's the cop out that that these are two commercial products. So they say that we follow the directions on the box of the ZR right. RNA kit and we follow the directions on the box from the NEB next RNA depletion kit. And then we took that sample and we did the next thing. So I don't know. For me, a lot of this stuff becomes um starts to become less and less transparent and virology is ripe with it at this stage. <laughs> yep. Okay, so anyway, then there the I think that what what needs to be said then is that this is we need to be very careful about the fact that this is saying vaccine sequences are circulating into the blood up to 28 days after covid vaccination you could almost suggest that they didn't even look for the right thing. They're not even looking for, maybe because spike's already been found. Like how many times have we found spike in um, in patients up to 60 days later, right? The protein mm -hmm. itself. So I'm not really sure how this is so significant. I mean, to me, if it was full sequences, that would be fine, but we don't see that, right? It's just fragments. That's what they show. Well, they here. say full-length traces or uh, fragments. So maybe, yeah, I need to read it more thoroughly. But I, I yeah, agree but with you too. In Figure One, in Figure One, they have full coverage at day five of Moderna, and then right. they have full coverage of BioNTech at day fifteen, almost. And then after that, it's all fragments. Right, hmm. right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Right. So I agree. It's not like the most like a whoa, you know, paper. It's it's kind of uh, 
th that's also why I wanted to bring it up because oh. it's like it's really important for people to kind of you know get beyond the, the the headline it's like ah you know it's like okay well first of all we already kind of know that the mRNA is really stable we know that the spike sticks around too um you know it's good to have another confirmation but like let's let's have a real confirmation and make sure we we're saying the right thing here so yeah um but nonetheless you know it's it's good for the for the attention of the subject matter because i think most people they still don't realize that um, the mRNAs don't dissolve after one day or degrade and that, you know, the spike isn't produced for a long, long time. So it and does call attention to that. So for this case, I, I, I may be able to give some outside confirmation. Um, so there, you know, this is this won't be the first paper out. So I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Somebody can shut me down if um if I'm you know, sort of doing this wrong in terms of etiquette, but I know that, uh, maybe eight months ago, uh, and this, this paper has been held up for a long time, but my, my wife had data and she was helping somebody else with, um, with their paper, you know, people bring in several people on their team. Um, but it was uh, blood serum uh, draws and, you know, testing for the amount of MRNA in blood serum. And for some of the patients, it was like, you know, a sample of 14 people. For some of the people, uh, there were there was um, you know little small amounts of mRNA on day zero, and because of that, um, you know my wife questioned whether or not the draws had been taken before or after the vaccination on day zero, right? And so uh, they had to like go back and find you know I think they were going to like track down the nurses you know who who gave the injections and figure out what actually happened here, what was the sequence. Do we know that one way or another <clears throat> after day zero, there was a two week curve for a lot of people where um, the mRNA went up, uh, maybe peaked around week one and then came back down. And so, you know, how consistent is this with that? Mm -hmm. um, Jumi. <clears throat> Why are you picking on me? <laughs> I'm trying to pass the buck. <clears throat> this paper, it they're all 28 days after Vax, is that right? Mm -hmm. They they do no, they measure periodically. Oh right, right. No, it was different days, right? There's one like on figure yeah. one, there's day mm -hmm. one, there's five, thirteen, fourteen. I don't like the way they've done this chart here. I kind of have to like look through it and differentiate between the different yeah. vaccines on different days. They should have just broken this into two charts. Well, they didn't have very many people uh, with signals, so they didn't have much to show. That's the other tricky part. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I'm impressed, actually, that it's floating around still. I would have assumed it would have all settled there. And that it just, I think it means that their PCR is pretty good, nothing more. I don't know. Again, because we don't even, we just have to take the word for it that those two commercial products set up a viable sample set to begin with. And if they don't, they don't. Because briefly they used two products before they started sequencing. So, But other than that, I mean, I, I think it's still, as Jessica said, the most important thing is it gets these ideas out there again. I mean, 
I don't know if you noticed the the Children's Health Defense sent out a little message today about two teenagers, a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old that went into the doctor for a school physical and the mom was in the waiting room with a newborn or an infant and the kids came out sad because the doctor told them that it was re- COVID shot was required for school and gave it to them without their consent. They even said they didn't want it and they the doctor gave it to them anyway. Oh my oh, gosh. Um, it's just not even real. That was recently? Yeah, re- yeah, you can. It's just the news story on uh, the last email I got from CHD. What the hell? Like, I, I just can't get over it. Like, but doctor, about- it's the doctor that really doesn't get it. Like, it doesn't understand the basic mechanistic difference between transfection and these other things that they should have also known more about. It's frustrating. Mm. Well, yeah, it's this not is, more this than is, not. I mean, you know, those kids might be damned for life now because of this idiot. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I feel about it. Because there's no predictability. It's like, come on. If you're a medical doctor, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that there is a non-predictability here with these particular shots. And if you don't know that, then you're not up to date and you need to get up to date. It's like, read a couple of papers, idiot. Uh, sorry yeah. for the, the, the hostility, I, but I, I really, mean, it's, yep. it's what's needed. That's, that's the, that's what's needed at this stage. Yeah. I mean, a year ago or two years ago, there was an excuse why doctors didn't right. really, they took the word of the TV, but three years in retrospect, there's no, no excuse. No excuse. You, you are, yeah, you're responsible for your actions at this point. And it's like willful, willful blindness is you know it might be what's going on but like you're you're affecting other people's lives in a direct fashion especially if the kids said they don't want it i mean what the hell i just don't get it yeah that that starts to feel like maybe a law was broken at a certain point yeah exactly exactly and and this is this this is paper into the context right um so this paper is one of the very few is this the only one that we have right now that uh, that talks about how much mRNA is circulating in the blood through 28 days? Yeah, it, it, it's not really expected to be, though, right? They expect the lipid nanoparticle to deposit in places. They don't expect it to stay in. And it didn't. It doesn't in general. So, And this is a short paper, especially yeah. relative to a topic like this, right? If this were, if this were something well studied, um, like this could be a 25-page paper. Well, are we counting? There's that paper that found the the mRNA vax. Like, wasn't it like 60 days post post vaccination? But it was like in the lymph nodes. I, yeah, thought, the that, I thought that was spike, though. I, I didn't think it was the mRNA. I thought it was. I the thought person. it was both. I think it was both. both. Okay, it's both. So I think that one had come out before this. I'm not entirely okay. sure. But, but it, it definitely how is like our information is and how little we know for certain, right? And when you see a four-page paper like this and uh, and the biologists in the room aren't even precisely certain how the methodology, you know, it could wouldn't know how to reproduce it in a lab without, you know, having to maybe contact the researchers or reading through the product, uh, you know, uh, definitions and then maybe even trusting whether or not the, the this product that's sort of like this like insert magic right <laughs> i mean it, it, it really feels like that 
what is the 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 term I wanted to start incorporating into my lectures is the shabab operator. Isn't that the ship in a bottle that um that uh, Eric Weinstein uses as the part of his equation that he doesn't really understand? It's called the shabab operator. It's a ship in a bottle. And I really think a lot of these these things are just based on an assumption, a gigantic assumption, and then we move on. And that's the Shabab operator. Yeah, don't pay attention to what's behind the, cur the curtain or inside the bottle. Uh, it doesn't matter that you don't know that. So we have so little information. And um, the strange thing is, is, you know, scientists can say, hey, we, we have so little information about this. And yet the level below the scientists, the doctors who would be using that product then strangely have a higher confidence level in what's known and understood, you know, high enough that they don't really question making use of the project or product or even going beyond what most people I think would stop and imagine as ethical boundaries with children. You know, that, that's, that is its own strange thing, but, um, but let's, let's go back to uh, our focus on, on the papers uh, for now. Um, there was another paper um, one that Jumi picked out. Jumi, do you want to pull up uh, uh, the paper? Oh, yeah, there it is. <clears throat> sure, sorry, I haven't. So, do it just press present. Yeah, I, I personally do it by page tab, makes it a little bit larger on our screens. Um, I there's a lot of well, we have 168 people watching on Rumble right now uh, and uh, others on other platforms. So I'll, I'll try to jump in with their questions uh, as we go. Uh, Learning Org, oh, sorry, no, N Nana Susie says, did they find it in the spleen as well? But in this recent paper? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, or in general, I, I think the answer is yes, that there have been papers that have found it in the spleen, right? Well, what is it? Are we talking about the LNPs or the mRNA? Mm, yeah, good question. Good question. Uh, and then a whole lot of people um, agreeing that injecting someone who says, I don't want to be injected is assault. A whole lot of that it's, in the chat. Yes, it is assault. That's exactly what the word is. By the way, I don't, um, I, I'm going to share this uh, since, since you brought that up. Um, in 2021, when I was suspended from Facebook for a total of 145 or so days or something like that. I got four 30 day suspensions. And one of those four 30 day suspensions was when, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a little provocative in the way that I phrased it, but I said, you know, if, um, if somebody uh, gave your child a product and it killed them and while you were mourning over their body, they sat over you and gaslit you about what just happened, it would be okay to shoot them in the face. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, like I, I it's it, it to me, it's clearly a matter of self-defense or defense of your family. Yeah, uh, I was suspended for 30 days from Facebook to say that uh, for saying that. Right. And like I, I personally think, you know, I, I wanted it to be a provocative statement, but I think it's absolutely true. You know, if, if someone uh, had a gun and was shooting at your child, no one would question that. No, nope. somebody has something dangerous in a vial. And doctors go, well, it's okay, and 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 have a level of certainty of that statement that is beyond the biologist. There's a point at which um, it doesn't matter if it's malicious or incompetent, right? Someone with that much power 
who is incompetent at some point game theoretically you have to treat them as if there's no difference between the two yeah you invite bad actors right you invite bad actors if you differentiate between these for too long sure intentions matter but you can't differentiate for too long you have to say it and then you know you have to have standards and we set those standards before any of us were ever born those standards were set so the difference between malicious intent and um, total ignorance should be seen as very, very little. Mm. Yeah, I just I get frustrated because I think something happened in the last ten years between the doctor-parent-child interaction that went horribly astray. Because the reason why I think, as I understand it, and as far as I've been able to investigate it, that they ever allow a fourteen-year-old boy or girl to be in a room with a doctor on their own is in the case of abuse you want to have the kid have a trusted adult that they can turn to besides someone that that they only have for a year at school and if it could be a family doctor that would be great but the idea of leaving a teenager in the room alone with a doctor is not so that the doctor and the teenager can make lifelong decisions about that teenager's life yeah. And that's the part that really pisses me off. And my son is about to turn 14. And it's really like this thing where I'm working already on my doctor for him to understand that in no way, shape or form, am I giving you permission to decide things for my son or with my son and whatever legal pages and paperwork I need to file to make sure that you are not entitled to do that i want to do it before my kid turns 14 because i don't want there to be any gray area about why i would leave you in a room alone with my son if it's to protect my son from me that's fine but if it's to protect my son from imaginary things in the world then we have a problem mm-hmm. or, or even like even the debate right people are going to come I to give my son's hpv vaccine last year man yeah they they're, they're going to tell you that your conclusions are wrong and that that's why the state needs to protect your child from you, right? That's that's the battle line that's been drawn. Yep. Um, just to interject real quick, John Such asked on Locals, is it true that LNPs can cross the blood-brain barrier? I've seen news reports that indicate yes, but I'm a layperson, not a biologist. Yes. It is that's true. Hard yes. That's what they're designed for in large part. Is that not the case? Well, apparently they were designed to go to traffic to the liver, the, the original mm. like constructs. But these guys apparently easily pass through all of the barriers. Um, okay. Right. Let's I, I really so so far as the point of these lipid particle, and, and somebody can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong about this, the point of these is that they can get through a cell. And that cell membrane has this sort of special, right? Think, things aren't, like when you get to the micro world, things aren't as solid as we think of them in, in our macro world, right? Um, you have uh, different forces interacting, and some of those are charges, you know? And uh, the lipid nanoparticle is designed to be able to get through um, this, this bilayer that has both positively and negatively charged um, uh, aspects to it uh, to get through both in a single cell right and the blood-brain barrier is not something that's like you know it's not an iron door or something like that right it is it is something that is kind of like that it has certain forces 
that are involved in certain equilibria, um, but it is just material and fluid. And the lipid nanoparticle is small enough, uh, you know, it can fit through a, fit into a cell pretty easily. That's what it's designed for. Um, yeah, uh, you're going to be able to pass through there without something uh, that that would that would happen to filter that lipid nanoparticle very well, perhaps should be expected. And also like people should know that uh, Alzheimer's is, they, they actually need certain uh, drugs to traffic to the brain to work and such things like recombinant proteins and gene therapies <laughs> to quote this paper that I'm looking at. So they're, they're designed to do that because that they have to get to the right place in order to act out their function. So, yeah, it, it's not surprising that these these uh, these fatty bubbles get everywhere to me, um, based on what I've read. Yeah, and I, and again, it comes back to the the unknown nature of it. It comes back to the to the they can't guarantee you zero, and that's all that really matters. If 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 you're injecting a four year old kid with a some kind of genetically active substance and you can't guarantee that some of it won't go into the brain, then I guess it's pretty much useless. And uh, if you can't guarantee that any of it won't go to the gonads, I guess it's pretty much useless. If you can't guarantee that any of it won't go to a place that will eventually cause cancer or autoimmune disease, then I guess it's pretty much useless. And that's kind of how I see transfection. It's not really suitable to make a therapeutic that you want to put it in a vertebrate that's going to live another 40 years. It might well, be or if it is suitable, we may be decades or centuries away from figuring sure. out the perfect sure. jujitsu sure. of, of going to only the right places and not the wrong places. Yeah, that, right. that design may be impossible. We will have found five other ways to augment the immune system that have nothing to do with uh, intramuscular injection. That's what will likely be the case. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Well, so now um, uh, we have a paper Jumi's uh, brought up, uh, and this is one um, I, I've actually written on this paper very briefly, uh, though Jumi did a longer article um, that went uh, somewhat in depth on this paper. Uh, tell us about this one, Jumi. Okay. Um, I'm just looking at what I wrote because it's been a while. Uh, so in this paper, they compared, they injected mice um, with the... Can, can you go up to the title, show the title and authors? Um yeah. Let, um, let everybody soak this up. Yeah. So they injected mice with uh, one of the mRNA vaccines. I think it was Pfizer. Um, and there was a control group where they injected saline. There was another group where they injected uh, the vaccine intramuscularly, which is how you're supposed to do it with humans. And then another group where they injected intravenously. And then they looked at um, effects on the heart and liver and maybe some other tissues in that, I don't remember, but mainly the heart and liver, I think. And they found that um, intravenous injection was a lot worse than the other two. Um, but something that was interesting about this paper was that the intramuscular group was also pretty bad, but the way that this paper described it, it kind of felt like they were trying to hide that and only making it seem like the intravenous group was really bad. So among the bad things were like all kinds of things that they saw in the heart tissue. So they did little um, autopsies on the on the mice, looked at some of the tissues. 
you know, Thank so, you for putting those little hand motions in there because yeah. it's a really tiny autopsy. Really tiny. And they also looked at things like cytokines and um, some other things. So can you, can you like highlight this obfuscation of probably one of the most important findings? Because that's a big thing in papers right now. Besides having to write the words, the COVID vaccines are the greatest thing since sliced bread in order to get your work published. I mean, that's, that's happening a lot. Right, this is what we expect in, in politics. Right. It's and, like the most and... important thing is is being kind of like, uh, and by the way, we found that. <laughs> yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Because I haven't read this paper. Yeah, so like table one has um, like a summary of a lot of the changes that they saw in the heart and liver. Um, and uh, let me see here. So so DPI means two days po post-injection, I believe. So this is after the first intravenous dose. IM means intramuscular. Um, uh, let me see. Okay. So one thing I remember, for example, is um, in the abstract, right? They mention, for example, um, where, where was it now? Okay. So when they mention changes in the liver, for example, the, it seems like the only thing they say was ballooning degeneration of hepatocytes was consistently found in the IV group. Right. So that might make you think uh, the IM group was fine, but and hepatocytes are liver cells, liver cells, by the way. So if we go to the table, oh, hepatocytes ballooning degeneration <laughs> and under IM dose, three out of six had that 50%, not in the abstract. So that's just one example. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, and then there's like other stuff too. I, I it's just been a while since I've looked at it, but um, let's see. After the second IM dose, you see all these issues in the heart. This one, there was six out of six, six out of six, six out of six. Wow. Of all of these things. Um. Yeah. Now, I th there's like a lot of words here, but I I don't remember exactly what they said, but they they often focused on the IV. Um, is, this the paper, is this the paper that John Campbell covered on his on his stream on YouTube and said that it was they needed to aspirate because this paper shows that? Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that. It's been a while. Yeah. But I remember he didn't really talk that much about how bad I am injection also was. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, here's another thing. So the supplementary material, I think, has some of the most important information. Well, always. Um, yeah. So what Jumi has already shown is um, you can't just read the abstract and know what's happened. And yeah. that there may even be politics separating the abstract from the paper itself. Now, uh, from the abstract to the main body to the supplement, um, these are like two different leaps. And at each of these leaps... You can, not necessarily, but you can have enormous introduction of new information that, that seems to contradict what would have been a simple reading of the previous level. And this shows, you know, how it is that, you know, why it is it so important to, to do that with scientific papers? We don't always have the time, 
right? As, you know, a, a doctor doesn't always have the time. We, the public, you know, I'm not a professional scientist. I don't have the time to do that with many papers at all. But if you haven't gone, you know, to that level, then you really just don't even know yet. Um, and, and you'd like to think that you do, but the, the politics and the, uh, the incentives are just too strong for you to assume there's not going to be major friction at each step. Significantly yeah. higher, but that doesn't mean that the intramuscular group wasn't high. It just yeah. means Exactly. Well, no, but actually, here's the kicker. So they, this is what they claim, right, in their description, that, that the uh, spike gene copies in heart tissues was significantly higher in the IV than IM, IM group at one day post uh, injection. And now I'm trying to figure out how to show the supplementary material because it's a, it's actually a document. It's not like web. So, mm. Okay, maybe I have to just show my screen then. Hold on. Yeah, you could do that. And then and then what might be fun is at the end, once we've gone through the supplementary material, we can go through the uh, disclosures section. That's what I was going to say. Always read the conflicts of interest as well. Yeah. You're going to learn a Wait, lot. Can you see the screen? <laughs> yep. Uh, we can see JJ's screen. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get it. Don't, don't count on me. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm having an issue with the... All right, this is a race. <laughs> Whoever gets their first wins a no prize. Strategy for making it difficult to get to the real information. <laughs> well, the other thing is when they're in, like if it's in a, you know, dot docx format, I don't know what the standards are, but I have encountered situations, particularly with like public health data, as opposed to peer-reviewed publications. But when you'll, you'll get like an Excel spreadsheet or a, or a Word doc, which is in a format that is much harder to then point to because people can easily say, well, that's in a Word doc. You could have written that up yourself, even if you're pointing them to the website where you got it. Whereas something like a PDF uh, which or, or just a new tab here, why, why not make it easy for people to see it, right? Mm -hmm. Why make it so tec technically complicated? Yeah. Okay, yep. I'm just going to share the image on my Substack because I know it's on there, but I, I don't know how to. But which supplement are you opening? Three. Well, yeah, but there, there's like a file where all of all of the supplementary material is. But okay, can you see this this chart? Yes. Okay, so yeah, they said that. What did they say that that the uh, IV spike gene copies was significantly higher? So this is this is the IV injected. This is the IM at one day post infection. Like that doesn't look good for the IM. This is IM. That's wild. And the range is also pretty high. You wild. It's like some people who have that much, which is not that different from the IV. So it's always so, nice to have a zero or two in there because that always makes your numbers go bananas. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Zero yep. there make your make you look make you look nice. Take those zeros out, and I bet you there's no significant difference at all. It might even be that one right. zero that makes it significant. Exactly. Sketch oh, here's another thing they did, right? So they're looking at IV vaccine versus IM vaccine. They're looking at some cytokines like TNF alpha, IL 6. Wow. And look at the difference in the scales. So wow. the IM vaccine actually is much higher, and it's even higher than, than it was. Because the full changes, the scale is even higher. Why they do that? Very strange. No, not why they do that. That's wrong. <laughs> that's that's not, wild. That's not even funny because you can't post those next to each other like that 
You cannot. That's, that's is this in the, in the supplementary? Yeah. Holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. Spectacular. Wow. There's, there's a degree to which, like, you know, a scientific paper is communicating something. Wow. I always wonder how much instruction, like, you know, how, how much should you write a scientific paper as if you're running a classroom? And, and while I don't think you would write it ever completely like that, I think this is exactly one of those moments when you should, right? Okay, it's one, like, I don't mind that those figures exist, that they've sort of standardized the size of the figure that they're showing you, but it would be appropriate to also include one where you've got these four and you've got the different sizes <laughs> of nails, right? Just to, just to kind of give you, you know, retune your brain to how you're interpreting that. Because that's all people do when they read scientific papers. Science is not like, you know, a machine that tells you truth, false, or something like that, right? It's not a machine that does that for you. Science is a process. And ultimately, there is always still the subjective element of your uptake of the information and filtration and interpretation of all of it. And I think that that's a point that people should always keep in mind. It, this is not about having a right or wrong answer. This is about having best judgments and understanding. That's all science can ever achieve. There's no proof, right? There's no mean, there's no particular defined meaning to statistical significance. You know, what JJ just said about, you know, uh, zeros on the scale, right? Um, <clears throat> a lot of times uh, unrealistic distributions are assumed, right? Unrealistic data distributions are assumed in order to create these numbers that we cause p called p-values and stuff like that. No, mm -hmm. it's all about how you judge the numbers to be and just the context right here, just to have several biologists in a room, you know, who understand what it means for the zero to be there, you know, or how many, how many of the samples are at zero, you know, um, that, that domain context is important and there, there's no, there's no comp computed answer. There's no truth. Um, you know, we, we just want it to be displayed as, as, uh, we, we want the information to be conveyed as clearly as possible. Um, the, let's be really clear. John on locals asked, does that bit of chicanery with the chart scale manipulation seem unethical? Is it a gut reaction ethics breach? Well, think of it this way. If, if you had put those graphs up on the same axis, how, how would you, what would be your visceral reaction to the results? You'd be I like, whoa, you know, it's like, I, I think it's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know if it's unethical. I hmm. mean, I, I would probably say yes, but I can tell you one thing. If I tried to pass in, you know, charts with different scales like that side by each as part of, you know, uh, material that I was submitting for a report or a paper, they would throw it in my face and be like, yeah. what are you in grade 10? What is this, Jess? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Grade right. 10. Funny the you say grade that, 10. That they would be acting on that level, right? And this, this yeah. is really crucial and important. What I said earlier about, you know, how, like, when you should or should not use intentions to judge, right? There's incompetence versus intentions. And, and you know, people... They, they build in these loopholes. You know, you've got to give them a pass because that wasn't the intended thing or it, it is perfectly reasonable that people sometimes aren't thinking I need to um, view this in a different way in order to convey it to a certain audience. 
okay, the, the, there's some of that that's true. Um, however, the fact that what, what Jessica just said, if I had presented that, I would have, you know, somebody would have jumped on me. Okay. So what that tells us is that we are traveling through the era in which it, 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 it is being decided or it has already been decided that the intentions and the results are not that different, that we can't judge them that differently. So the question, is this a breach of ethics, is, you know, we, we should at least treat it similarly to that, right? If you don't treat it similarly to that, you invite bad actors. Is yes. it the case that this is something you would expect of a postdoc to understand, you know, the, the level of presentation of the information? And JJ softly shaking his head, yes. The, the, there is some room here, obviously. There is a little bit of room of judgment for these situations. But for the most part, we should, we should communicate that, you know, we expect better from the presentation and the communication when, when it's that important. Yeah. And on locals, control groups, speaking of 10th grade, says in pitching multi-million dollar projects to Silicon Valley meetings, your presentation should be held to a 10th grade level. It's uh, And then Lokalan says it's not a failure of communication. It's intentional fraud. Putting them side by side like that with two different scales, that's no accident. It took extra work. They don't want the intramuscular result to look as bad right. or worse as the intravenous administration. Just to be clear, in the paper, they, they weren't put side by side. I put yeah. them you know, side by side in my subsection. So this is what it looks like in the paper. That is a good well, clarification. It's harder to, to, to compare them because all the IV group is up here and all the IM group is up here. Oh. So, it's even harder. So I compared it in my subsect, just to be clear. So it's but even worse than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so they were in different places in the supplement. Change it Change it to something. No, no, no. That, it wasn't in the supplement. It's in figure six. Oh, excuse yeah. me. I mean, change it to something that that, that sports or, or other people that aren't virologists can understand. You try to make an argument that LeBron James and is better than Michael Jordan, and then you show a series of graphs where – the bars for LeBron James are higher, but the scales are different. And then you say, look, it's definite. It's obvious that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan when it's clearly not. And it's, it's, it's exactly what they're doing there. PBS NewsHour style. <laughs> wow. Really? Okay. Well, I'm curious. I'm really happy you brought that up because I didn't see that. I did not know that that paper had that much data in it. Um, this paper has a lot in it. I mean, yeah. there, there's one other thing that um, this is a speculation on my part, but um, can and you I put that the link in the chat again? And just, the paper? yeah, just make it easier for me. Sorry. Oh yeah, I got I it. I know which one it is, but it's been a long time since I opened that sucker. But by the way, in, in Figure Six, uh, before Jumi's rearrangement, um, they are sized to the same and pretty close together. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. like this and, and i do see this in papers all the time and it, it and and it doesn't always matter but it, it should be something where e even even a published paper like this i don't see why we don't have some sort of a, a feedback loop right where where people say oh you know what could you rescale these to show the difference in scale i would like to right. see that. did any of you guys ever get on pub here and start posting comments or anything like that when it started I, I did that some in 2020, but uh, I just don't have the time. 
Yeah, exactly. I didn't either. I mean, I was there for a little while, but it got so ugly. And then people whined about it. And then it got pretty tame pretty quick. So if we were to hazard a guess at what the disclosures section is going to look like, this will be an interesting exercise. Do you have an impression of what might be there when we look? Who funded the thing? What some of the conflicts of interest are? I don't have any idea. Oh, no way. Oh, my God. Hey, hold on. Hold on. (laughs) So there's a couple of interesting things in here, I think. Where do we want to start? Oh, really? So the funding of the thing is mostly it looks fr- it looks to be from Hong Kong, you know, government agencies and various private foundations and donors within Hong Kong. I'm not personally overly familiar with any of these organizations or people. That's what this block is. It's almost entirely Hong Kong based institutional support. But then you get to the potential conflicts of interest. And who wants to who wants to say it? The intranasal influenza thing. Oh, is that is is that the most interesting part to you? Because that is very interesting to me too. Pfizer, Gilead. Oh, I didn't even see Pfizer. Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of a given, though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't know what to make of this because, like, travel grants don't have to be a lot of money, but it does show that they have a like a relationship of some kind. So, right. And you know, Pfizer. the company that Pfizer is, and people should know this, Pfizer should be should be outside of the scientific game completely. Like, let, let's talk about it. if if you saw Amazon, you know, seeing Pfizer is really actually much more like seeing Amazon than it is like seeing a scientific organization or nonprofit group or something like that. And here's why. Pfizer is not uh, a company that develops drugs much anymore. As an organization, Pfizer's specialties are supply chain and distribution, right? Mm -hmm. They largely buy up companies that have developed some little product. Mm -hmm. Supply chain and distribution and lobbying. That's really and truly most of what the drug, the larger drug companies at least, that that's really most of what they do. They are more like business and political organizations than they are like scientific organizations. That alone suggests that we should see this, you know, um, whether it's money for specific studies or it's money going into these conferences and speaking opportunities, that's a red flag, right? When, when the company has drifted toward the business and political side, they should no longer be, it should be seen as, as no longer appropriate for them to have that relationship. Agreed. And, and further, um, last sentence, conflicts that the editors consider relevant to the content of the manuscript have been disclosed. So these are not all the potential conflicts of interest. Yeah. Which is interesting because usually when I see that it's followed by none of them have been 
considered relevant. So the fact that if you did get out, I suppose it could indicate they are being transparent or it could indicate these were just the ones like they had to give something. <laughs> it's sort of the impression I get. But I'm curious, uh, the intranasal influenza vectored SARS-CoV-2. So that's not a pharmaceutical thing. That's a we've got some engineering of a vector now, what, I, what I'm not sure about, is it using it, the influenza virus as a vector to... Do, what, can someone elaborate on this? Uh, elaborate how? What, it, like, what does this mean? As I'm reading this, I don't quite understand what... Is this referring to an intranasal vaccine? Or is it, it referring like to... to they, it looks like to me they have an influenza backbone with a SARS-CoV-2 spike on the outside, most likely. Like they've made the measles in uh, Pittsburgh. They have a measles right. virus that has the spike on the outside. So they're using that as the vector. Okay. So then, so as someone uh, who, oh, oh, as a vaccine, I see. Okay. So this doesn't necessarily jump out as something of particular notice. It just means they're one of many people or, or research groups that are working on products like that. Well, for me, it kind of does because it's like, like I might be way off base here, but my my whatevers are telling my antennae are going up about the transition from injection based technologies to some other kind. And so they are trying to develop this, you know, snorty thing. They're probably going more for some epidermal type delivery systems. I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what's coming in the future. Um, yeah. maybe people are going to start having an aversion to having cold steel with liquid injected into their bodies every <laughs> six months. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting to me that, that this is one of the conflicts of interest as well, because it's like, okay, I, I don't know how, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it might have something to do with how the results were, were presented as well. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I need to read this paper and actually kind of follow the mm. thoughts my brain are trying to, to generate for me here. But um, Oh, because maybe or is what you're getting at the notion that the, the inherent uh, bias is they don't want the needle to look good. They want the needle well, to kind of look like it's an antiquated, maybe not effective technology. Exactly. That's kind of where I'm. I'm. I'm thinking, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's it's way off base. But uh, well, these if things nothing are... else, it's, it's in the industry, and they want the industry to continue to be funded. Yeah, right. I'll tell you the thing that, in theory, freaks me out. Uh, well, I don't spend too much time worrying about it. But the idea of you know moving away from needles and into uh, something that you you breathe in or that you you know put on your skin or have come into contact with your skin in order to vaccinate is that becomes much easier to bypass the need to ask permission. If yep. it can simply be, and you know what? Spray uh, people. You, yeah. Spray people. Let's be real. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of what you guys been talking about. What's that? Or embed it in your new clothing with fantastic high-tech new fibers. <laughs> yeah, like this is all very serious. Like not not arguing that they that they. The problem is this makes it possible. That's so that that's what makes me a little and and you know there's a, there's a a paper uh, called something 
uh, moral bio enhancement from a couple years ago where they, they talk about the need to, if we agree that uh, there are certain bio enhancements, I suppose vaccination would fall into that category or genetic editing. Or um, compliance. And- they also talked about compliance, that if they could genetically modify people to comply, it would be it would be ethically OK. It would be ethically OK. And it would be best to do it covertly. Yes, exactly. And and it's a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive sort of ethical contortion that these people are capable of doing. It's almost as if they've never had an ethics class. <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think that what they're actually doing is it, this is where people try to separate the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. Right. They, they try to go to these boundaries because they go, OK, um, so sure. When, you know, when people say no, that's a problem, right? That's a boundary. So how do we get around that, right? They, they don't say, they don't say, what does that information mean, right? Like when, when I hear that, like some people in society think something's not okay. Some people, uh, some people think it's okay. Like, I wonder what the, the interplay of those forces is and how that affects society. I don't think what can we do to eliminate one of these groups from existing, <laughs> right? Like there's information and that information is port- important for the robustness of humanity, the species, society, all of it, right? Um, so, you know, they, it, 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 it's a different sort of logic and we should pay attention to the fact that it's a different sort of logic and find out what that yeah, means. I mean, look at this is how science has been destroyed. <clears throat> You can see it in this paper's abstract. Some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. So just the first sentence alone is pulled out of some multidimensional universe of BS and, <laughs> and stated as fact. It's like, who are these theorists and could you call them crazy? Could you call them Absolutely. Who decides what enhancement means? And I'm, what the hell is moral? Because the, even that's not defined. It's like your their morality clearly is not what morality is. Right. <laughs> it's it's extraordinary. I mean, and yeah, these these are people with faculty positions that that just don't understand the the basics of of human rights anymore. It's quite frightening. Thus, yeah, a covert yeah. compulsory moral bioenhancement program is morally preferable to an overt moral bioenhancement program. <laughs> I mean, I suppose best case scenario, this entire thing is one big gaslight um, intended oh. to uh, send conspiracy theorists into a into a, a, a hizzy. But anyway, <laughs> I, I definitely think that's true. Definitely yeah. think that's true. The idea that that these people let, let me just give you the microcosm example that I experienced recently, which was listening to a Robert Malone video and listening him to describe his experience in the lab of several Nobel prize winners when he was young. Right. And having him say that, you know, when I was working in those labs, I was sure that in 10 years there would be a geneticist at every hospital that was just curing genetic diseases in kids with retroviruses. And so that's why I studied with those people. Now, it turns out that all the stories that they were telling and all the big talk that they were talking is not even close to true. 25 years later, there are no geneticists in hospitals curing 
kids' diseases. We're not using transfection to do it. We've been trying for 20 years. And I would suggest that a lot of these things like, you know, nanoparticles to morally enhance people are similar mythologies, which put people into their chairs and think, wow, how can I possibly understand the reality around me? It's so complicated. Mm. Just in yeah. the comic book. One of the things that people should understand, and this is, um, I, I should build, I wrote an article previously where I said uh, specialization is anti-education. And I should do a part two of that article because one thing that I'm getting is that within these specializations, all of them, there are mythologies that are built up. And these mythologies that are built up are built up in order to like create um, like a narcissistic gravitas. Right. And it's not necessarily every industry. It's the ones that are trying to look sexy as in this is, this is misunderstood by the public enough um, that people assume that it's the more advanced stuff. Right. When really a lot of the things that make civilization are just good engineering, you know, how do you build your, your waterways and good, you know, good sanitation systems. Um, you know, the, the physical engineers don't get enough credit, um, but but the people who are doing, um, you know, bleeding edge uh, type of work, um, you know, they're doing hit and miss work and that needs to be understood and their egos need to be detached from it if they're going to go down that path. Just a little minor point here too that I, I was recently made aware of that I was aware of before, but now it's right in my forefront again is the idea that we've been building ever bigger colliders because we keep saying that we haven't found the particles that we predict to exist because our colliders aren't big enough. And we keep building bigger colliders and making predictions about what we're going to find. And those predictions don't come true, but we keep funding these projects. And at some point, the, the, the way that that science is being done is incorrect. And at some moment, we've done that with a lot of what we would call virology or or parasitology where we've created this idea of you know sooner or later this vaccine and these antibodies are going to be the right thing and then we're going to be able to solve everything and it's a it's a sort of stubborn bullheadedness that that an idea should eventually work and it's 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 absurd and and i think particle physics might be another great example of how academic science can just spiral out of control purporting to answer questions but not really at all right if your politics leads to a level that you need show projects then you you've created a new problem um and and what jj said jj brought in the example of you know uh, particle colliders um i think that most of what gets discussed in terms of artificial intelligence like this idea that uh that you know um that we're going to have some that we may already have some artificial intelligence like controlling the world running things i think this is inserted into our imaginations to make us fear and then also trust and fund the people who are telling us we're here to fight that i think that that's that's one of the examples um but i i think that these are actually all over the fields of science and it is to connect them to the political layer of the technocracy and, you know, it, and ultimately, it's funny, we, we had no idea we were going here today, right? I mean, this is this is kind <laughs> of like, this is kind of those. <laughs> this is the science version of this, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so relatable. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately, in truth, we could not even read two scientific papers today without it mattering 
And so we wound up here. We wound up discussing ultimately what are the motivations behind all of this. And we wound up traveling down this path. And some of it, you know, um, some of it, I mean, we're all sort of cocked and ready to discuss some of these topics um, because we've been going down, uh, you know, we've been, you know, traveling through these different directions. But I just wanted to point that out because ultimately you, you, you can't, you can't read a science paper in a political atmosphere and not have to walk through all of the politics. But ultimately, if you're doing good science, you should be able to read most science papers and not have to go through that level of politics. And if you're a scientist, you should be able to reproduce the results based on the methods. That's what I think. But I have really high standards. <laughs> yeah. Can I add something on the subject of like, you know, just, I, I, it really hit me uh, if we have a couple minutes. I, I did this deep dive into um, uh, gadolinium, which is, I don't even remember how I got onto this. Um, yes, I do. Somebody sent me an email and they asked me um, if there's uh, something about heavy metals being connected. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you should have Fauci up there, though. He is the oh, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> So there's this, uh, I, I did a deep dive into gadolinium, which is like the heavy metal that they use um, to attach to chelated, they, they chel make chelated molecules attached to gadolinium to make it safer for, uh, for use as a contrast agent for MRIs. So um, anyway, in my research, I found a video of a, just a, kind of a remarkable uh, medical doctor, a radiologist guy who's been in the field for like 40 years. <laughs> That's good too. Sorry, Jessica, yeah. continue. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, I really don't mind. Um, and and he, he told a story, he was giving a lecture in front of a, a group of people about gadolinium toxicity and the realities of what we do and what we don't know. And, and his point was that we really don't know a lot about what happens once that gadolinium is injected. And we walk around the, the radiology community and the community of MRI and all this technology certain that macrocyclic uh, uh, agents are safer than linear agents, for example. But his point was that it might actually be the reverse, and we don't know, and we're always very qualified and, and assertive, and we know this. And it's like, no. And so he tells the story of when he was a student. He asked his, his uh, attending or whatever, um, when he was, I guess, a resident in medical school, why, why do we see this calcification of this part of the brain uh, under these circumstances? And his attending looked at him and said, um, don't be a moron. That's just the way it is. Accept it and move on. And, and the reason the guy made this statement in, in, in this lecture, in this context, was that he said it literally stuck, stayed with him every single day, these specific words, because he was made to feel really dumb, first of all, for asking a question. And he made the, the final point that after 40 years in the field, an expert, like beyond experts in this, this you know, science, 
uh, he still doesn't know the answer to these basic questions he asked this guy 40 years ago, definitively. And he's, he qualified it with, I'm not being modest or humble here. I actually don't know, and I'm not afraid to tell everyone. I don't know. So it was really, really, it, it, it hit me, and it was like, yeah. Because one of the most important things I learned in my master's was how to say, I don't know. And I think that's completely missing right now. Even from the conversations about peer review and science and all that stuff, it's like everyone's so bloody sure because they have to be, because they have to sell their products. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And that's scary because it's like, what if your product isn't safe? You know what I mean? So it's like, let's get back to being humble. If we ever were, that's the problem. I don't think we ever were humble in science. I'm not even sure science isn't just religion to begin with. <laughs> There's something weird where once you go through the process of specialization, you're sort of taken offline from society until yeah. you're finished with the grooming process. That I think that encourages a level of narcissism and a level of, um, of, of certainty of, of, you know, you must present yourself as being authoritative. Wait, can you right. say what you mean by offline? I'm not sure. Well, okay. I'll explain what I mean by online by, by pointing out that, um, you know, like four of the five of us here have sub stacks and the other has a, a Twitch stream, right? We are all interfacing with the public at this point, right? That is, that is online. Each of us uh, has a certain pressure uh, in, in this, like, you know, I don't mean like a heavy pressure. I mean, like uh, the ordinary social pressure of not just flubbing it. Right. I don't mean like that every paragraph has to be perfect or whatever, but you can write a substack and that substack does not, it shouldn't be seen as, and it doesn't have to reach the level of as high scientific quality as we all want to see in these papers, but it, it, it can and should be viewed as part of the process of thinking mm -hmm formulating ideas, presenting those ideas. Maybe we come back later in a year and we don't believe the same thing that we believed at that time. And people see that and they see that process, right? That, that's, that's public interfacing. Whereas if what, if what happens is you're put into labs and you put pressure on by a very small number of people who are involved in where the money goes and where it comes from and, and what the messaging needs to be, right? The fact that there is messaging at all, right? That says politics right there. You know, that's where we have this Lysenkoist atmosphere that is far, it is far more in that direction than people know. Um, e even most people within science don't know. And, and that's at least partially because being, you know, being pulled away from community interfacement, I think that that very quickly, as in, you know, even before you're done with a PhD for most people, I think for most people that becomes a trauma. Mm -hmm. That becomes a trauma. And then immediately you have a, um, a Stockholm syndrome. And so what we have is probably multiple generations of scientists at this point, most of whom have Stockholm syndrome and very few of whom are capable of saying you know, I don't know who, the, who this guy is that you were just talking about, but very few of him or them are capable of saying, we don't know this with certainty. At least I don't know this with certainty. Nobody's actually teaching this. Where does this come from? Right. And, and you know, we're, we have to 
step back from that. Otherwise, it is all just the matrix. It is the matrix, and you can't just accept that the people who are labeled as experts know what's going on at all. Yeah, uh, this sounds an awful lot like what you, JJ, have been talking about with this, I forget how you termed it, but like this mentorship chain where the people who we're hearing from now were mentored by people who appear to have gotten it wrong and never admitted it. And can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, it's a it's a phenomenon that happens pretty harmlessly in most aspects of biology because the cutting edge of biology is a is a multi-dimensional sphere where most of the cutting edge doesn't matter. For example, if you're doing the aerodynamics of moth wing shape, you're probably not going to change the the average life of average Joe Main Street, but it's still the cutting edge of biology. And those places are where people develop years of research and spend years of money, you know, dissecting what they claim is a, 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 a testable hypothesis about the shape of a wing or the colors of wings or these kinds of things. And the, part of the problem is in academia, you inherit the, the mental framework of your supervisor. And it's a very, it's a very, difficult place to be if you don't come in previously equipped. So the best way that I can say it is, is that uh, you made the joke in the beginning that I've been a biologist my whole life, but in a kind of way I have been. And so every time I've met a mentor, I've, I've been able to catch up quick enough so that they're not mentoring me with a, um, uh, I'm going to back up for a second and say, for example, if you had the opportunity to learn to produce music from Prince yeah. and he took the time to take you into his studio and give you a four year lesson on how to make music, how much of your own ideas would you leave there with? Almost zero because Prince is who he is and he's got this track record of being an unbelievable artist. So if he tells you that the way to success is to wear your underwear backwards and don't tell anyone, you would definitely do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be hard to shake in, that. <laughs> in, in these scientific scenarios where you're a budding scientist that wants to impress your mentor and also understand what your mentor is trying to teach, it's a very fine line from absorbing it as an apprentice where you put those ideas to work in your own mind and use them in your own way versus becoming an apostle or a disciple where basically you're just doing what the guru told you. And so you teach yoga the way your yoga teacher taught you without having the insight that a ballet a ballet dancer would have if they learned to teach yoga and then went on to be a yoga teacher. And that's really what we're talking about here. That's an awesome insight, JJ. A yeah. You, you have to have the strength. Don't have that. You have to have the strength to not fall into a domination relationship. A domination submission relationship, right? Like that, it needs to not be that. You need to be learning. That from metaphor works because that's my wife. She's learning to teach yoga right now, and she was a lifelong ballet and jazz dancer. And now that she started teaching and telling people things like this, this pose is very derived from such and such in ballet. And so, if you feel this, you'll also feel a stretch that's very similar to ballet dancing. And they love it. The students love it because it's an insight that is not just canned from a yoga class that she taught, but it's actually Fearless' own insight building on what she's learned from the yoga class and what she already learned from a lifelong of dance. And that's what a real scientist would do 
when they study with a mentor. And so many people, as they go through the, the system that is academia, they never reach a level of mastery that allows them to be an apprentice. That's the point. And that's so interesting because you're totally right about Prince. And I'm wondering... <laughs> Absolutely. How do you know how I wear my underwear, first of all? Here is underwear backwards. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little curious as to where JJ hid the camera, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because I'm thinking about it and um, shout out my, uh, my, my mentor, FootLevelsMusicProduction.com, shameless plug. He was my, one of my many mentors, and that's the point one of my many mentors and I'm thinking exactly. about it and, and I'm thinking it's not that I have had, I mean, I have been very lucky, but at the same time, almost everyone I've ever met, even the most egotistical, uh, you know, music producers, engineers who think they've got it figured out. They all have also taught me. Uh, I've, I think this is the best way, but the whole point is that nobody knows the best way. So rule one, learn all the rules. Rule two, forget all the rules. Rule three, return to rule one. Yeah, and, and reinterpret all the information that's coming. A lot of a lot of people's success is actually their intensity. Yeah. Their intensity, their passion, the ability to dot certain I's and cross certain T's. Like all those yeah. success, almost no matter what the creative sauce is that you can't ever get to that's up in here, right? And, you know, somebody said uh, in, in chat, somebody said, you know, uh, uh, a good mentor wants you to be independent, right? And there is a difference yeah. between a good mentor and a good teacher. Uh, uh, there's a difference between a good mentor and a good producer, right? A good artist or scientist or something like that. You can be great at something and not be a good mentor. Yeah. Uh, you could also be mediocre at something and be a phenomenal mentor. And, and you know, but, but the student needs to be uh, independent enough. And this is why... Well, I, I could get on my soapbox down and say this is why we need to fix education before that point and not put people in prison schools and teach them authority is 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 what you need. But uh, ultimately, uh, a lot of things come back to that. Yeah, um, that's the crux of it, man. Like people like the instructors aren't taught how to be instructors and or mentors. This is part of the whole thing. It's like, and, and you almost can't blame them within the construct of the system because there's not enough time. It's like, it's, it's the, the whole design is, it's not, um, it doesn't kind of uh, um, let the, I don't know how to say it. It doesn't allow for the flow of the, the independent and creative side of the person to come out within that context. It's like, you have to learn this stuff and, and, and there's so much right wrong. And it's like, ah, no, I, I mean, I've, I've constantly conflicted with every PI I've ever had. And I always felt really bad for that. I thought there was something wrong with me, but now I realized it's like, no, that was me asserting my independence. I just didn't feel that way at the time. So it turns out it was a good thing, but it's it, it never felt good at the time. But that that's that's more because you know I I'm a. It, it's I'm interesting a, that that you know, in a lot of ways it's clear that that's why we are here, as in the five of us. Um, that that uh, uh, you know those of us who are here are people who never lost their independence. Well, let, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I just want to say this: I'm already looking forward to the next one in a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The first Tuesday 
of each month. Uh, we're going to do this for a while. And uh, and all of you are invited back, of course. Um, you know, Let me know anytime you want to reach out, like say, oh, I can make this month. I, I can't make this month. But if you have a paper, um, now we have like longer to think about them too. So maybe we can all read the papers um, you know, two, three weeks ahead of time in some cases and, and have some, um, and have some fodder built up. It's clear that we all did reach for papers that, that we had already, you know, uh, absorbed for at least a few weeks. Um, and, and we'll, we'll try to have other people on, um, you know, I, I've reached out to a couple of other people and maybe that we have, uh, you know, um, uh, uh other people join us at you know, different times. And if we have a particular paper, that somebody's interested in, maybe we'll reach out to somebody that we know personally who is expert in that arena. And so anyhow, um, I, I really enjoyed this, you guys. Thanks so much for, for coming and joining us for, for this first uh, Journal Club episode. And we hope that uh, everybody at home has has enjoyed this. And by the way, I just want to, um, I, um, I, actually, do we, do we have four minutes for a video before we wrap things up? Because um, I, I wanted to point out that there is a new documentary that is about to come out that relates to um, you know whether or not the vaccines are safe and effective. It is very different than these two Peters died suddenly, um, and I, I've been in contact. Um, you know, I, I tried to do a little bit of work, but didn't really have time. But gave some feedback on the on the production. Um, but here is a trailer for this uh, new documentary that's coming out so people can see this and know whether or not they want to tune in. Now, now wait, before you play it, if you don't mind pausing, do we want to use it as our play out? Do we want to say bye and then play it out? Or do we want to watch it, comment, and then... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could do it on the play out. That's a good idea. Okay, and, cool. uh, and by the way, I do have an article coming out in less than an hour. I just want to point that out. It's, it's an interesting special article because I want to collect data. So anybody who's, who's watching... Please help! Help! Please go there and help me collect that data. Yeah, we'll we'll get that uh, into the comments. So before we go, um, can we just one more time go around and remind people where they can find each of you? Jumi, what's your Substack again? Oh, it's called Let's Be Clear, and the URL is uh, jumi.substack.com. Wonderful, and Jessica. Uh, I'm unacceptable, Jessica, or unconditional, Jessica. <laughs> Um, and it's jessicar.substack.com or jessica5b3.substack.com. And I also have a website, uh, Jessica's Universe, if you want to check out some bear stuff or my, my CV or some publications or whatever. Wonderful. And Chief Biologist JJ? Uh, Gigaohm Biological. It's real easy to spell. It's a very small number of words and letters, so it's totally... <laughs> Great handy choice. Um, but yeah, Giggle and Biological on Twitch and Giggle and Biological.com. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. Well, thank you guys for coming on. And spoiler alert, I did manage to get all those links in the description before we even started. So everyone click on there and I will direct people to roundingtheearth.locals.com where you can find Matthew and I and our growing, burgeoning research community of sphere spheroidical earthers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so, Thanks so much, guys. All right, do we want to hit play and then just kind of watch? Word, right? Spheroidical. That's a new word, right? It should. No, be no, no. Uh, no. Spheroidal. I, think... I thought it would be, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, you know, I think you're right. <laughs> it's even better this way. It's even better. It's like, it's like radical built in, so it's like spheroidical. I like. You should it. even it like change that. it to that. Spheroidical ish. Even better. I'll, I'll pretend that I did that on purpose. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
if you don't mute us, we can play like uh, Mystery not, Science Theater 3000. Let's, let's do it. Do this. Let's go. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. And I, I'm going to stop this, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, I should have done this before. Um, I, <laughs> what I should have said is, what I should have said is, this is this is the documentary, like that. Uh, this the the guy making this documentary, uh, Gopi. I, I you know I spoke with him on multiple occasions, and and you know this is the concerned citizen doing. Oh, sorry, so we shouldn't make fun of it. <laughs> no, no, no. This this is this is um, this is okay. something that should be an educational presentation that a lot of people are going to watch. So if you find something like died suddenly, I don't know questionable in some ways perhaps even distasteful in others and and perhaps uh it, you know you don't like taking messaging from somebody who's often promoting large-scale violence uh maybe this is a better documentary to send your friends who are, you know are on the fence or on a journey you know discovering as much information as possible so my dad for example okay <laughs> My name is Robert Scott Bell, and I'll be hosting you on this journey as we look into whether this vaccine is really safe and effective. I went on stage, no fear. I have no fear of this of the stage and blank. Uh, the microphone is in front of me. They asked me to say something. I can't. I just went blank. Not right after, but I think within two weeks of uh, the shot, I started to grow, a lymph node started to grow on my neck. And so the lymph node actually ended up growing to the size of a golf ball. So I started losing my hair and I have quite a big patch here. Um, this was in the fall time that he began having these symptoms and he passed away before Christmas. He had two grandchildren, never met his third. Actually, at one point when I was feeling this crummy, I hooked myself up to the EKG and saw every time I felt horrible what was going on. And what was actually going on was that I would have what they call PVCs or an irregular beat backfiring back to back. So I'd have a normal rhythm and then it would go boom, 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 when I was feeling crummy and feeling that. feel short of breath, I'm anxious, I can't sleep, my vision's blurry, I can't stop shaking, and I just barely received my first dose of a Moderna vaccine. What is going on? Insisted that I was a high candidate for bipolar. Had you ever been diagnosed no, with bipolar? just out of nowhere, I was a candidate for so bipolar. a ER nurse. I've been there for close to five years and I was there at the very beginning of COVID. There was lots of talk about mRNA and what a lot of them said was we don't really know. That was the census is that we don't know. We're just being told and this is what we're, you know, this is what we're being told. So because we're being told this, mm. this is going to save us. The reason why I got this shot um, 
with Evelyn Health, and I believe a lot of our, the healthcare workers did, is because the media made it so scary for everyone that we thought this was our saving grace. The way I look at it is they've caused us to stop living to save our lives. And I just hate that feeling.